If you would, take out your Bibles, Mark chapter 6. I didn't put this on your program, but uh, I'm going to have you, uh, I figure I'm talking about offense today, so I thought I'd offend some of you, and uh, I, I do a pretty good job of that. So, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, around your tables, if you're a guest today, I want to welcome you. Thank you for coming. In your program, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a, uh, there's a slip there that lets us know you were here. We'd love to know that you were here so we could send you a note of thanks and appreciation and uh, probably a little gift. Uh, but fill that out, put it in the middle of the basket. But here's your question for the day around the table. If you're a guest or if you're an introvert or, and there's nothing wrong with being an introvert, I'm an introvert, believe it or not. Uh, every, every year I think I become more introverted. So there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to say anything, but this is the question I want you to discuss for just a couple of minutes. What do you believe is the greatest cause of most problems in churches? Now, some of you say, well, I've never been to church before. This is my first time. So you might go, well, I think the tables are an issue. And uh, <laughs> that somebody would make me talk on my, or ask me to even talk on my first time. But we believe that, that really Christianity is very relational, not only vertically with God, but also relationally with one another. So just around your table, as I always say, there's no right or wrong answer, but what do you, maybe you've been in a church, don't give a whole litany and story and download, but just what do you think are some of the main issues that cause problems in church? Okay, you got about three minutes, so be quick. Go ahead, share. Give me some of your feedback. I want to hear what uh, some of the things you come up with are. The pastor, there you go, number one. <laughs> Raise your hand. I love you to see here. Yes. Hypocrisy. Judgment. Judgment. Gossip. Does anybody hear gossip? No. I didn't think so. Good. 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 Yes. What's that? Self righteousness. Yeah. As if there could be such a thing. Yes. Egos? Oh boy. Okay. Interpretation, okay? Uh, interpretation of? Uh, of everything, like just, so your ego, because, and then your ego becomes? Oh, okay. Not talking about me, right? I, okay. <laughs> Here's a shot to take on the pastor. Uh, camouflage. No offense taken. Anybody else? Uh-huh. Okay. Controlled. Heavily controlled. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. Communication. That's every church. <laughs> What's that? That's, yeah, every, yeah. Ooh, let's be careful. <laughs> it's every husband. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, that's not Creekside, but yeah, that's a good one. And I know none of these have to do with Creekside because, um, you know, we're, we're, we're not a perfect church, but boy, we're close, aren't we? No. <laughs> one more. Legalism. Legalism, yeah, that's a biggie. Okay, you know, can I just tell you, all of those things are correct? All of those things can cause a problem in a church. Foundational truth from the Bible is that issues, 
come. They're going to happen. And broken relationships will surface in a church. But, but if unrepentant hearts that ultimately lead toward forgiveness toward one another don't happen, if a church isn't challenged even to take care of those things or we gloss it over and let people live in those attitudes, problems will always follow. See, Scripture uses as one metaphor, there's a whole, whole truckload of them, but one of them is that the, the, the church is a family, and it uses so many different ones so that you don't just take one and narrow cast the church. But one of them is family. And if you understand families, we all come from families. And some of us, you know, a lot of our family isn't even our best friend. A lot of our family we don't get along with. A lot of our family we have trouble with. But you know what? When the day ends, they're still our family. And church really should be the same way. Not everybody here, first of all, not everybody here even knows everybody, but not everybody in this room is necessarily going to be best friends with people. There are just some people that just don't get along. And that's all right as long as you don't get along in the right way. But the church, we should honor our diversity while following the biblical mandate for unity and biblical integrity. I mean, really, relationships at some point almost become more important in cases, not across the board, so hear me, but in cases more important than our creeds and our doctrines and all of those other things. But, but I find that, you know, it's really hard when you get more than like five people together to agree on anything or to move forward. And I want to talk today about this whole thing because in Matthew chapter 5, verses 7, Jesus is laying down. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Most of us have heard it. Many of us have read it, hopefully. But Jesus is laying down his kingdom manifesto for his followers. If you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, if you're going to follow Jesus, the king... This is what it's going to look like. And in Matthew 5, 23, at the onset of that talk that he was given on the big hill, he said, if you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go on your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus is making this profound statement about being in right relationship as a priority. What he's almost saying is, to some degree, that it's more important to be in right relationship than it is to come to church. Or if you're going to come to church, make sure you're in right relationship. But I see, loved ones, so often with churches and people that I work with, other places where the, this, uh, the issues are allowed to grow, uh, go underground and offense comes and it becomes very, very toxic to the church, to the people, to the persons, to the individuals. And I'm not talking, listen, it's really important that you, you discern what I'm going to be talking about today. Because I'm not talking about every little thing. Because every one of us is going to get relationally bumped and bruised. And I believe one of the great signs of maturity is being able to discern and the ability to know what to let go, how to let go of it, and not even worry about it. So don't, I'm not talking about being a person that is so touchy that the smallest little ding or the, the, the smallest little slight you allow to become a major offense. And we all know people probably that do that or have done that. And I say this because when I do a talk like this, it really challenges people at the inner levels of their heart and their life. And the less mature can walk away from a time like this and begin to think they have to go to everybody that offended them. You offended me. 
And, and I want you to know that because I've been living with this offense now for two years. Okay? That's your problem. How come we're dealing with it? Well, Pastor talked about it. Listen, and, and I know, and I don't mean to be, well, I, I do kind of mean to be funny because it's, listen, people, mature people have got to learn how to move and to get beyond those things. And, and some of the people that are maturing in the faith, they will listen to this and they'll go, man, you know what? I think I might have offended somebody a while back. I need to really pray. Lord, do I need to go deal with this? And maybe you will. But, but this isn't, you know, but, 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 you know, I don't want to see a big long line of 20 people coming up to me after service. And, you know, 12 years ago, P, Pastor, you, you said this and did that. But you, you see what I'm saying? So be careful how you take this. Make sure that you are a growing and maturing person. You know what to let go, what to not hang on to and how to do it. So let's read. And, and this is a little bit of review because uh, in, instead of, I'm gonna just take a break and do more of a topical study out of Mark today. So Mark chapter three, we read this the last two weeks. We did these two passages. So I'm gonna extract a couple of principles from them. I remember Jesus, uh, he's come back and he's had an explosive ministry. Things are you know, going on everywhere and just you know, going crazy. And so now he's back in his hometown. Let's pick it up verse two. It says, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things? They said, what is this wisdom given to him? And how are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and aren't his sisters with us? Hmm. So they were offended by him. Let's drop down to... Verse five, it says, so he was not able to do any miracles there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he was amazed at their unbelief. So see, first of all, Jesus, he's literally, these people are offended by him, and then it leads to their unbelief, and because of their unbelief, they can't, Jesus really can't do much there. Now, skip down to verse um, uh, 18 of chapter 6. Now, John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias, his wife, held a grudge against him. I was thinking about this this morning. You can't really get any good word out of grudge. You got sludge. You got smudge. You know, it's just, there's nothing good that comes out of a grudge. And so Herodias held a grudge against him and wanted to kill him but she could not because Herod was in awe of John and was protecting him knowing that he was righteous and holy man. And when Herod uh, heard him, he would be very disturbed yet would hear him gladly. I want to talk about just the, the way of offense because it, it, it happens with you. In life, inevitably offense will come. We live in this fallen world with fallen people with varying degrees of woundedness uh, because, you know, we're all besmirched by this thing that courses through our life from the beginning of the time we're born called sin. And not only do we sin against people, but people do sin against us, don't they? I mean, it can come, it, it can come through words that wound, actions that offend, whether real or imagined, or comments that cut us. Offense comes through family, through friends, teachers, churches, coaches, jobs, bosses. Uh, pa no, never a pastor, but um, it usually happens when expectations aren't met. When you expect somebody to respond a certain way or not be a certain way. 
Uh, that's when uh, offense oftentimes comes. Somebody said it this way, hurt people hurt people. Have you found that to be true? It's a true, it's, it's true. You show, you, t- you show me someone that's hurt and you gotta be careful around them because they will eventually hurt you. I wanna add one more to that. Hurting people will always get hurt. Did you get that? Hurt people not only hurt others, but hurt people always get hurt. People that are hurting are oftentimes the most easily offended in life by the things that other people do. And they don't have an, they sometimes have a difficult time and an inability to be able to let things go. The word offend here when it says, and they were offended by Jesus or offense, it's scandalizo, scandalizo. And it's, it's where we get our word scandal or scandalous from. It's the idea of a trap with a bait uh, attached to it. And the, and the whole focus is to trip us up, to cause us to stumble, ultimately to fall away. How many people do I see that happen to? I just recently heard of a, 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 just a, a good friend, a wonderful, oh, I'm kidding, I don't want to give it away, but they left the church and... And, and they were, well, they were a scandalizo. They were offended because I talked about money. They said, whoa, this church is going to become, PT is going to become focused on money. And I go, I was thinking, this is a couple of weeks ago. They left a, a few months ago. And I thought, man, that's really weird. Because, and, and if you're our guest today, just know this. I, I, would, I would bet a lot of, I mean, a lot of money. I would bet a lot of money. I like to bet. I would bet a lot of money on this truth. I bet if you took almost any church and the times that they mentioned money in any 23-year period of the last 23 years, I'll bet, I'll bet you our church is so low-ranked compared to every other church. But I did a series on money, and only one of them was about giving and challenging our people. And this person was offended by that. I mean, I, I don't even ask you to put money in the basket. If you want to do that, go ahead. But um, I, I, I forget to do that almost every Sunday. Now, here's the point. When people are looking for something, they'll find it. And people will either be easily offended or they'll just they'll be able to let things go. And this is what's sad for me because I know these people are not back in church. So what has the enemy done? Set the bait. They bit into it. They were offended. They were scandalized. And now they are falling away. It's so subtle. But it happens. Realize, listen, loved ones, it isn't what happens with people in life. It's what they do with it. What, what do you do when the offense comes because the enemy sets and baits the trap with offense and pretty soon the person just simply gets trapped up and then they begin to trip and fall away. They get so tied to the fence that they get tied up by the offense. So when we take offense, we offend heaven and the cause of Jesus because ministry sees us, the miraculous has no environment, no, no, no crucible, no no petri dish to be able to grow in and to be able to flourish. And and that's ultimately what Jesus is saying here is your unbeliefful short circuit, the miraculous. Have you ever been offended? Have you ever been maybe called the wrong name? 
or somebody forgot your name, or maybe you were called on the carpet by somebody, or maybe you were not invited or forgot to be invited to something. Maybe you weren't visited by somebody. I remember when I, my first years here, there was a sweet little lady. I was told this story to the long-time long Creeksiders that most of them were here before I was here, and I, we were just reminiscing about stories over the last 23 years, and uh, there was this gal here, sweet little lady. She would, when we used to have pews over in that little room over there, she'd sit in the front row, and she always had usually something to say to me. And um, one, one time, I, she always wanted me to visit her, so I started visiting her, and that's not really my job, but I did it. And, uh, you know, when you only got 40 people, what do you do? And uh, so, but she was always so mad because I never visited her enough. And, 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 and so one day she goes, she's going off on me. She goes, Pastor, you never visit me. Former old pastors, they used to visit me all the time. And I go, well, first of all, I'm not the other pastors. And secondly, hear me, I'm here. Right now I'm here. And if you're going to complain one more time about how much I don't visit you, when I do visit you, I'm going to leave and never come back again. <laughs> that sounds a little harsh, but you know what? I don't have time. I didn't have time then. I don't have time to listen to complaining and whining because it, it, it sucks the life out of people. And, 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 and I was doing my best with what I had in the time that I did have. But she was offended because I didn't visit her enough. You know why? Probably because she didn't have anything else really to do or think about. Or she did, but she didn't invest in things. And oftentimes you'll find that people that aren't heavily invested, they're the ones that can complain and get hurt and bumped and bruised the easiest. Maybe someone hurt you and didn't see the need to ask your forgiveness. That offends you. Uh, maybe you were passed over without somebody saying hi to you, or maybe you were passed over in a job and you wonder, what the heck? Fill in the blank. I could, you know, some of you may be sitting here today with some severe offense. No one of us is really able to audit this offense course. It's going to happen. It's going to come. Someone said to me after a service once, man, from what I heard from my friend, I thought you'd be more dynamic. And... Um, <laughs> I thought for a second, I said, I'm not going to get offended by that. And I said, but, but well, you're right, I'm, I'm not, but let me, let me just say something to you. You're ugly. <laughs> and, and next week, next Sunday, I'm going to get up there, you're still going to be ugly, and I'm going to be more dynamic. <laughs> so, so I, 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 but I didn't get too offended. And I didn't, I, I, I didn't really say that. I wanted to. But see, this is what I know. If you want the miraculous to happen, loved ones, in your life, you've got to let go of offense. You can't hold on. See, in this passage, Jesus couldn't. No, no, not wouldn't. Jesus couldn't do miracles in the midst of these people because of their unbelief. See, holding on to an offense is a statement of unbelief. It's an unbelief that you can and should let go and an unbelief in the power of Christ's ability to release and bring forgiveness on your behalf to empower us to be able to do that for other people, what he has already done for us. The one, Jesus, who let go of the greatest offense of all humanity who have sinned against him. And let's personalize that, you and me. 
So we can never forget, what did Jesus have to deal with? I mean, he, he was offended. I mean, he, why wasn't he offended? These people were offended by him. Why wasn't he offended by his family and friends? What did Jesus face that could have offended him? Well, he was faced with constant challenge and negativity. Uh, he was hated by different sects of the Jewish leaders and, and the Jewish community. He had no home. His family literally thought he was off his rocker. They acu- people accused him and lied about him. He was called names, a wine-bibber, glutton, illegitimate. He faced a trumped-up trial, and he was tortured because of those trumped-up charges, but he did it on our behalf. I love what the Apostle Paul says in his last days in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. He's about ready to lose his head for the cause of Christ and the gospel, and, and he's thinking back, and he's writing to his protege, the young man that he mentored, and he says, you know what, everybody's left me. But, but hear me, Timothy, I don't, I don't hold it against him, and I don't want you to hold it against him, because I don't want it to, I don't want it to diminish the gospel. I love that heart. I want that heart. See, offense and the miraculous are mutually exclusive. You can't hold both, on, both of them at the same time, but you must let when one of them go, and we all know which one we need. See, the way of offense here, we see that it happened with Herodias and John the Baptist. We dealt with this story last week, if you want to review it, but Herodias was the wife of Herod. He, she was first married to his brother, Philip, but, but they had an affair, and then they ended up coming together. She left uh, Brother Philip. And so John the Baptist, he sees them. And, and, and there's this unique relationship that Herod has with uh, John the Baptist. But he comes and calls him, and he, he, he is an audience to his preaching. And John the Baptist turns to Herod and Herodias. And as only a prophet will do, he looks at him and he says, you're sinning. You have taken your wife's brother. That is not right. And just calls him out publicly. What happens? Well, kind of rightfully so, I guess. She gets offended. But what happens is she nurses this offense to what the scripture says is a grudge. And the word here literally means it's something that's held inside, that it sets them apart from them. So what she did was she set her apart, self apart from John and things going on there and literally just nursed this thing within and held this grudge against him. And when that happened to her, when it happens to us, you know what, it always comes out. And it did for her. What happened is that she seized the opportunity. She took the opportunity, as we read last week, to kill John the Baptist. Remember last week she had this really foxy little daughter, and she comes in during a Herod's party, and all of his dignitary friends were there, and she does this little seductive dance with a Mona Lisa smile, and she gets everybody excited, and finally Herod says, listen, I'll give you anything you want, up to half of my kingdom, and she talks it over with her mama, who has a grudge who has this thing seething inside about John the Baptist, and she says, ask for his head right now. And so to save face, what does Herod do? He goes and has him beheaded. See, here's the point, loved ones. When we are offended, death starts to seep in to our soul, and it will always come out and potentially cause death around us. 
you hold a grudge against somebody, you'll defame them, you'll destroy them, or you'll say something about them to put them in their place or put them down. I've always been interested, I've heard of stories where sometimes parents, they dig in their heels in a church and they'll stay at the church because they'll outlast the pastor. Or they have relationships that go deeper this way than even probably this way. But, but they'll sit around, they'll badmouth the pastor or the staff or the church, and their kids will hear it. And you know what's interesting to me is the parents, the kids will never go to the church or they'll end up leaving because they're holding the grudge. Proverbs 3.34 says this, that, that God gives grace to the afflicted. See, Jesus shed his blood to make a way for you and me to be able to forgive and to be able to release. But you know what we do sometimes? We'll take up somebody else's offense. Won't we? Have, you, have you ever done that for a friend? Where they'll tell you, well, you know, this happened to me, and pretty soon you're, you're kidding me. Who was it? And so pretty soon you'll take up their offense. And what do you do? Well, you'll, you're mad too and you're upset and you'll shoulder their offense. It's so easy to do, isn't it? But how many times have you been burned in that relationship because the person you took up an offense for worked it out over here and now you're stuck? See, that's why it, see that, Proverbs 3.34, that's why it says that God gives grace to the afflicted. See, when you're afflicted, when the offense comes to you, God will give you the grace to work through it, but not necessarily, it doesn't say anything about getting the grace to work through it for somebody else. That's why with Trina, a lot of times people go, Trina, did, did, did PT tell you about this, that, or the other? And, and she'll say, no. You know why? Because I don't take it, I don't tell Trina hardly anything that goes on here. You know why? I don't want her to pick up any offense. When she walks through these doors, I want her to be able to enjoy church and people and not have to think about, know about some of the issues that might be going on here. Because see, God's gonna give me the grace to deal with the affliction or the offense or the difficulty of this place. And he'll give her that and he'll give you that, but he won't give it to you for me. Does that make sense to you? So, so make sure that you're not picking up other people's offense. Hebrews 12, 15 says, don't let a root of bitterness take over and defile you because the uh, offense will stop the flow of the life and the power of the need for the miraculous. And nothing becomes more toxic to our soul, loved ones, than we begin to allow bitterness turn into resentment. And then we hold a grudge. See, Jesus literally bankrupted heaven. He died, he shed his blood, he rose again to forgive us. So that as um, Ephesians 4.31 says, we could be imitators of God and forgive one another. So how do you refuse offense? Why is it so important? Well, I want you to notice this passage. We'll look at it here in a few weeks, but um, in Mark chapter seven, verses 24 through 30, it says, Jesus got up, he departed from there to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house and he didn't want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. 
And instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. Now, the woman was Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she kept asking him to drive the demon out of her, kept asking, she was imploring, man, she was begging him. And Jesus said to her, allow the children to be satisfied first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. Now, this is an interesting story. I just kind of blew through it. But contextually, remember, Jesus came first to minister to the Jews. Jesus wanted to show the Jews, reveal himself to the Jews as the Messiah. And then as he left, remember, the modus operandi was Acts chapter 1. The strategy for going into all the world was found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Move out. But while Jesus was here, his focus was Israel. So this Greek woman, <coughs> excuse me, not of the Israel faith, the, the Hebrew faith, she comes and she implores Jesus to release her daughter from a demonic influence. She'd probably heard of this miracle worker from Galilee, and she seeks out to find him in this nearby town, and she's pinning all of her hopes on this itinerant preacher. He might be this Messiah. He might be the one who's able to deliver my daughter. Now, isn't it interesting Strange. Jesus initially refuses her request. And he uses this word picture when he says, first let the children eat all they want, because there he's speaking of Israel. I come for Israel. I want the children of Israel to be able to partake of my life. And it's not right to have these children's bread and to toss it to the dogs. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I could be pretty offended over, are you calling me a dog? I mean, if you really look at it, that's kind of where she could have gone with this. Are you calling me a dog? But listen to her response. Yes, Lord. <laughs> she takes his phraseology and turns and says, even the dogs under the table uh, feed on the dog's crumbs. Oh, do you see her heart? She's not, gonna, she's not gonna allow herself to be offended by what Jesus said. She's gonna take that and she's gonna go, that's all right. And she takes it and turns it into another metaphor. And she says, that's all right, I'll take the crumbs. Call me a dog, call me whatever. I will take the crumbs. In incredible faith, she turns it around and she continues to ask Jesus in faith. And Jesus responds and he says, woman, you've got incredible faith. Your request is granted. See, how many of us, how could I have been offended and walk away in a huff? And So that's the Messiah. Oh, so that's the great preacher that does all these No, she continued to press in, press past any opportunity for offense. Oh, Jesus, make me like her. So she lets go of the offense, doesn't take it on. The demon is gone, the miracle came. See what I mean, loved ones? You can't afford to allow offense to come into your life. 
even though it feels so good. <laughs> it seems so right so often to just hang on to that. I can't believe they did this. I can't believe they didn't do that. Can you believe it? Jesus says no. Because we'll have plenty of opportunities, but you cannot hold on to the miraculous and offense at the same time. Remember Joseph and his brothers? I need to move through this, but Genesis chapter 39 through 50. Remember Joseph, he's the young buck of the family, highly dysfunctional family. The father totally favored him. He was the runt of the litter, and everyone knew that the father loved him, so he gives his son, Joseph, this really nice multicolored coat. And so he walks around strutting his stuff as only probably a teenager could, and then he has this dream. And as he has this dream, he comes back and kind of tells the family, hey, I just had this cool dream. Guess what? Well, the bottom line of the dream was that all of you were going to bow down to me someday. <laughs> you know, this is the little guy. So these guys are ticked. As a matter of fact, they're holding a grudge to the place where they take him away and they want to kill him. But instead of killing him, they decide, you know what, let's save his life. And so they sell him over to some, uh, as a slave to some Egyptian people. And if you don't know the story, read it in Genesis 39 through 50. But he goes, his, his life is literally up. It's like a roller coaster, up, down. But you see the sovereignty of God at work. Man tries to put him down. God raises him up. Man puts him down. He feels like he's forgetting, but ultimately God continually raises him up until chapter 50. It says that he is actually the second in command of Egypt. They've had this severe famine and people are going to Egypt to get food. And he is the governor. He has come up with the plan to be able to have enough food to take care of the outlying areas. And part of that outlying area happens to be his brothers and his family. And they come to him. If he's holding a grudge, what a great time for payback. Oh, sorry. We just ran out. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I'm Joseph. But no, he goes through this whole process and literally you see this broken man who has no vestiges of grudge or hate in his heart and soul. And, and it's a long story, but he ends up giving to his family, takes care of them, blesses them immeasurably. And then this is what he says. Because, see, they think that they're goners. They think he's just doing this because he's setting them up. You know, treat them really good and then take them down quick or kill them. But toward the end of his life, this is what he says to his brothers as this is all taking place. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. See, loved ones, when you don't take in a grudge, when you don't hold on to a fence, when you don't become bitter and resentful to people, you know what happens? God can use you to bless them and to lead them to him. And see, that's a powerful thing that we have, that Jesus can empower us to do that kind of thing because the world says, pay back, get even. See, Jesus refused offense. And we get to see this prophetic insight into his life. As I said earlier, if anyone could have been offended and held on to an offense, it was Jesus. But he didn't. You know why? 
Just like Joseph, Joseph understood that God was doing something. He remembered that God spoke and said, you're gonna lead your family. They're gonna bow before you. And I'm sure that that was one of the visions and one of the keeping moments that Joseph said, I will not forget that because God said it. And it's the same thing that happened with Jesus. He understood his assignment and his destiny. We see this prophetic statement about his character in Isaiah 42, 4. It says, he will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on earth. So there's this prophetic proclamation that probably Jesus knew. I will not be offended. I will not take on anything. I will continue to do what God's called me to do until I establish justice on earth. So as he dies, beaten, bloodied, and reviled as an innocent man, he doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't take offense on the cross. What does he do? He says, Father, forgive them. They really don't know what they're doing. And I believe there's this powerful insight here, loved ones, that we always need to lean into. They know not what they do. See, often a key of moving from offense is really realizing that these people may not realize what they're really doing. My pastor in college, a brilliant man, said this one time in a chapel. He said, never forget, I told you this before, never forget people will say stupid things and people will do stupid things. He said, I didn't say people are stupid, I just said people will say stupid things, people will do stupid things. And if you can begin to understand that and then tie that, tether that to this whole idea when Jesus said they don't even know what they're doing. Can I tell you something? Offense gets much easier to release and to let go. Jesus could have been offended, yet he continually made deliberate choices to not be. And he went about doing the miraculous. How do you choose to live offense free? Each of us will decide to hold on to offense or to let go of the miracle. To let go of the offense or to hold on to the miracle. Each must determine, I am not going to let someone else's sin or stupidity keep me from God's best. I'm going to do that. Each has to determine that. Because I don't know about you, but I know this. I need the miraculous touch of Jesus every day in every way of my life. And when I hold on to those things, it's like, having a, it's like having poison. And the longer I hold on to a grudge or an offense, it's like taking a drink. Mm. Take that. Take that. I'll pay you back. Watch this. And that's how we live. We take poison, the poison of grudge and resentment, and expect it the other person to die from it. See, when things in our hearts, when God's spirit's at work, he, he wants to bring these hurtful things to the surface of our life to show us what needs to be extracted by his presence and the power of his spirit, which in and of itself, loved ones, is a miracle. These situations simply become warning lights on the dashboard of our heart and soul to face them and to deal with them. And I love in the book, uh, New, uh, in the book Testament of Hope, the essential writings and speeches of Martin Luther King. Uh, if there was another present 
man that we are aware of that was reviled, he said this, I have decided to stick to love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. See, we're called, loved ones, to be an ambassador of Jesus and the gospel. And like him, we will be betrayed, bad mouth, not loved, not cared for, but we'll determine if we cut off the miraculous in our lives, in our families. What did Jesus do? He forgave. Two things. I'd recommend this. Number one, love God's law. Love God's word. Eat it, smell it, memorize it, taste it, love it. Take it in your life daily. Even if it's just a little piece, take it in. Notice I love this. This is what Psalm 119, 165 says in the King James. Great peace have thy which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Because see, the more you get of this, that not just ink on paper, but it's the living word of God. Jesus says, this is me. The more you get of this, the more you get of Jesus, the easier it will be to go, huh. Yeah, they probably didn't know what they said or did. I can let it go. It's not a big deal. If we focus on his law and loving it and living his precepts, we will serve him and please ourselves to please him. You know when I get in trouble? When I try and please everyone else. Because you know what I realize? I can't please everybody. There's not a decision I can make in this church that's ever gonna please everybody. And your life is the same way. You can't live to to, to, to make people happy. You gotta live to make Jesus happy and live to be pleasing to people. Someone said it this way, have the heart of a lamb, the trust of a child, but the hide of a rhinoceros. And when you begin to love God's word and you see how Jesus was treated you can do that. Secondly, trust God's ways. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says this, that we walk by faith, not by sight. We need to gather and grow in our divine perspective, God's perspective for pressing through. Like Joseph, he gets this prophetic proclamation when he's a teenager. God says, I'm gonna do this. And from the time that he was a teenager until he was an old man about ready to die, he kept that before him. In the midst of the good, the bad, and the ugly of his life, he simply did what he was supposed to do, and he always did right. He didn't cut corners. He didn't shade accounts. He just kept going, and God ends up raising him up all the time. See, we have a promise like that today, too. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Everybody in this room is called according to his purposes. Everyone in this room has to make the decision if you love Jesus. Because when you do, he will work through the good, the bad, and the ugly. And a sign of faith is that your faith isn't based on what you see or what you hear, but it is based on who he is 
and knowing that all things work together for good. Not some, not a few, not a hope. All things will work together for good. So loved ones, commit yourself to not be offended. Love what, I love what Jesus is doing in our midst. I would not want anything to stop it, to impede it, to discontinue what Jesus is doing, that we would get tripped up by some offense, but that we would trust our hearts and lives with him.